0: I'm April West. And I'm Catherine Sigblad. We're both first-time moms who are passionate about following our intuition and not afraid to do things differently. To say we question everything is an understatement.
1: If you find yourself analyzing ingredient labels, searching for holistic alternatives to pharmaceuticals and routine practices, and you're curious about all things baby wearing, bed sharing, and postpartum, you will feel right at home here.
0: In this podcast, we fearlessly confront the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum industries, share our mom hacks, and never stop challenging the status quo. We simplify the approach to motherhood and trust in nature.
1: We are moms off the record. Welcome to another episode of Moms Off the Record podcast. We are joined here today by IBCLC Gladys Rubio. It was actually thanks to one of my midwives, my home birth midwives, that Gladys and I connected just a few days after Julian was born. Gladys has come to our home multiple times. She is absolutely incredible, just a wealth of breastfeeding knowledge. So we have so much that we want to get into today with Gladys. Let's kick it off with some introductions and get right in. Hey, Gladys, welcome to the pod. Hi. Hi.
2: I love seeing your faces today. Yes. Excited to be
1: doing this. It's going to be awesome. We have so many questions for you between April and I, and also our listeners. So stay tuned to the very end. We will get to Instagram follower questions as always. But before we dive into all of our breastfeeding and breast milk questions, Gladys, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you decide to become an IBCLC in the first place? And what does that mean for our
0: listeners who yeah. might not be aware okay. of the
2: acronym? So that means internationally board certified lactation consultant. It's a mouthful. It is, it's considered to be the the top certification that there is for breastfeeding helpers. And I didn't really set out to do that. So it's such a funny question that you ask, Kat. I really, for years, I said I wouldn't be an IBCLC. Okay.
0: Cause wow. It seemed like
2: I was like walking right towards that, and I said, No, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute.
0: Okay,
2: so a little bit about me I am a mother of four, I am a wife, and a you know, just like an, an everyday, I'm a mom just like you guys, and also just fell into loving helping people with breastfeeding because I had a hard time breastfeeding my first child. I had an mm-hmm. easier time with my second one. And then mm-hmm. I wondered, why did I have an easier time? What went well, what didn't go well? Just being analytical about it and kind of picking it apart and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And then sharing that with friends when they had struggles as they had mm-hmm. their next babies. And yeah, so I did all of that. I have a bachelor's degree in anthropology. And I'm actually a, this is, I, I could have told you this for the interesting fact that you asked for. Uh, I am a, a trained archaeologist. Wow. Okay. So that's wow. like Did not that's know. my previous life. <laughs> Hi. So I also like looked at lactation stuff from, you know, sort of like an anthropological perspective, like yeah. people and our, our culture, our history, where have we come from? Where are we going? Mm. Why do we do the things that we do? So there's that kind of view. And I became a CLC, oh, I'm going to say probably in like 2010. Okay. CLC um, stands for? Certified Lactation Counselor. Okay. Council. So I did that for a while. I worked at WIC, Women Infants Children, which is the, um, it's sort of, oh, WIC is a that's a whole, that's like a whole episode. I'm sure Um, (laughs) that for people who don't know what that is, it is, it's at the health department and they are one of the biggest suppliers of infant formula, but in order to have like a token nod towards breastfeeding, they employ breastfeeding helpers. And so they had a team of moms who have breastfed exclusively and they put a lot of us through the CLC training and they taught us how to help people with their breastfeeding problems because they were... I feel like it's a token nod because mm-hmm. they're still giving out so much formula. A, and- a check
0: the box sort of
2: thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to say we helped you, you know, here's some formula. But here, here's yeah. a formula, <laughs> right. So I started with like official breastfeeding helping in the WIC setting and found that I really loved it. And then after that, then I went into private practice and I loved that even more. And that was when I said... I don't think I want to be an IBCLC because all of the IBCLCs that I knew worked in the hospital,
0: mm-hmm. and I
2: did not love the advice that I heard them giving. Wow, I felt we, like they're so that? much lacking in that mm-hmm. sphere, mm-hmm. and I didn't really want to identify with that. I felt like the the test and the ex, just the exam, the fees, it just all felt really big. And mm. it's like a big machine. And I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just doing my little thing. And I don't even need to do that. I'm just mm-hmm. going to go to people's houses and help them and connect with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I don't need the big fancy branding.
0: Right. Name. Certification. Mm-hmm. I know. And, then,
2: but then I got to a point where my, so my Wick hours kind of qualified me because you have to have a certain number thousands of face-to-face hours with mothers in a supervised official setting Mm. in order to qualify to sit for the exam. And I had met all the Mm. other qualifications and that one was going to expire because those hours roll away after a number of years. And then I said, all right, I'll do it just because the hours are going to expire. And I didn't want to have that happen and then not have the opportunity. But also for me, it was convenience because you recertify IBCLC every five and 10 years. And wow. CLC, okay. you recertify every three. Wow. So, yeah. so it was sort of just like a quick turnaround, like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And then I did. And I'm happy that I did because I feel like it gives you credibility. People pay attention because it's a name that they know. People don't know what CLC, even you, Kat, you didn't know what CLC was. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're just saying that for your listeners. You did, like, I was just them saying for the listeners. <laughs> but, but that's what Yeah, uh, that's true. Many people don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's It's a name that a lot of people have not heard of. And I'll be honest, a lot of people ask me, should I become a CLC? I want to do what you do. And I tell them, take the CLC course if you want to. But honestly, if you already love lactation and learning about this topic and helping people and you love newborns and you love skin to skin and you're a champion for these things.
0: You're doing it. already.
2: You already know everything in the CLC course.
0: Mm -hmm. minus one or two
2: little things, little, you know, maybe more medical things. It's Mm -hmm. it's not that much education.
0: So we're both curious about the bad advice that you were hearing that originally kind of pushed you away from wanting to pursue the IBCLC. What did that sound like? Oh, oh man. So it's funny because that's also why I didn't want
2: to become an RN for years I said I wouldn't and now I'm an RN I said I wouldn't be an RN because the RN IBCLCs were giving this bad that bad advice so namely football hold that was my like that's my hill to die on I just (laughs) and it's so it's it sounds like such a, a small petty thing to say like I just don't like teaching people football hold and I don't personally do it unless the mother says to me, I love this and I want to master it. Then I'll say, mm-hmm. all right, let's go. Or if it's twins, sometimes you just got to okay. stretch and grow yeah. and stay flexible.
1: You know what's funny is just real quick on football hold. I had the C-section and mm-hmm. the primary position, the L&D nurses at the hospital I was at, it's different from where you work, but where I was at, they were all about football hold. And yeah, I really did it for a couple of days, but it's not something a mom can really not do easily natural. on her own. It requires, yeah, it's not natural. It requires l- quite literally a team to assist. And it just felt yeah. very like going against nature in a way.
2: And that's not different from where I work. Where I work, that is all the lactation consultants teach is football hold.
0: Mm. Why are you so against it? What's wrong with the football hold? Uh,
2: that's such a good question. So the number one issue is that it it puts the baby in a position where they are not ergonomically going to approach the breast so it curls them into a c-shape if you visualize Mm -hmm. around the mother so the head kind of tucks in towards the baby's body to reach the nipple the baby's body curls around her side and she kind of pulls the baby in and makes a c-shape and that mm-hmm. is the opposite shape that you want a baby to come to the breast in. You want them to come in in, the, in a reverse C with their chest pushed forward, their head tipped back, their chin lifted mm-hmm. up and out off of their chest. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to get that. You can technically get good ergonomics in football, but it's not the norm and it's not okay. what most people are taught.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and so I that like... really
2: is the foundation of will the baby latch? Because if their instincts are not triggered in the correct way, if their reflexes are not triggered, they won't do it. Mm -hmm. And then what you see is people saying, I tried really hard to breastfeed, but my baby wouldn't latch. Right. I gave it my all. I did everything they told me, but I couldn't do it.
1: So that brings me to another relevant topic that I want to discuss, which is when you say, well, I tried to breastfeed and it just didn't work. We know like anecdotally, and Gladys, I'm sure you have better stats on this, that the majority of moms, especially if you're holistically minded, actually want to successfully breastfeed, right? I don't think the majority of moms want to give their babies formula. Sure, there could be some in different moms, but We hear, I'm hearing more and more across social media and in real life moms who say, well, I wanted this thing to work, but it just didn't. And Gladys, I'm curious with all your years of experience in thousands of hours of observing breastfeeding mom and baby dyads, what do you see as the most common hurdles in mothers trying to successfully breastfeed their babies, right? And how can moms try to proactively overcome those hurdles?
2: So I would say the biggest hurdle is the delivery environment.
0: Mm. Blake, I really, we'll I that, really right. is, talk about and it.
2: So I'm saying that as an L nurse. Oh,
0: yeah. Let's hear so it. it gives, Why it is it gives the gives delivery environment?
2: Yeah, I'm an L nurse, a home birther, like personally, it's a funny mix. And so I see both worlds. I see that it can be so easy, so uncomplicated. And I also see, I see the high risk and that's, you know, obviously like there's an environment for every situation. So if, if you're high risk, then you belong in an environment that supports that. But there's a lot of low risk people who deliver in the hospital who say, oh yeah, definitely I want to breastfeed. And we ask those questions when we bring people in the door, when we're getting them settled before we've done anything for their birth, we ask them, how do you plan to feed your baby? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think of that question? Almost. How do you plan to feed your baby? How, what do I think of it? Mm-hmm. So, I I actually like asking that question because mm-hmm. I keep it open ended and I want to hear what they want, so that I can meet them where they are. Because if someone says to me, "Oh no, I'm just like all formula, all formula," don't don't even you know come at me with the breastfeeding. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, I will meet you where you are. If mm-hmm. someone says to me, "I want to breastfeed," then after their delivery when I'm recovering my patient, I am going to make sure that I'm staying in the room the whole time, that I'm helping them with those first latches, because I don't want it to get pushed off to when they transfer over to the mom baby side and they see lactation and it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, then who knows, like maybe they don't get appropriate help. So I'm mm-hmm. very, very protective of my patient when they say they want to breastfeed. I'm I'm right there for it. But I really do think that delivery location and environment makes such a difference because in the hospital, almost everyone gets exclusively taught football hold. Most people do not have success with football hold. Therefore, most people don't have success with breastfeeding. I really think that that's what it is.
1: Yes. And I just want to say too, I I don't want this to be an episode about me, but I do think it's important to quickly interject because I had a very unexpected unplanned Mm C-section, not a good recovery. I chose not to be on narcotics. It was all football hold and it was an uphill battle. And Gladys, you know this about me from meeting me on day four postpartum at our house. It was an uphill battle to successfully, exclusively breastfeed in the beginning. And I always think to myself, if I didn't have access to you as an IBCLC, I didn't have a supportive husband. I didn't have my mom nearby. I can see how I might get frustrated quickly and give up and throw the towel in and go to formula. I can see Mm -hmm. how some C-section moms do that. I'm glad I didn't. I really am glad. And I want to hear your thoughts on this Gladys is Poor moms who have these complications, right? Maybe they were a home birth transfer. All right. So maybe they had an awful C-section recovery or maybe twins in the hospital, NICU moms, Mm. but they are dead set on successfully breastfeeding. They do not want to introduce formula, even if the hospital is pushing it. What can people like you, you know, IBCLCs, what can
2: you offer? How can you help? Oh, That's Okay. Yeah, that's tricky. So really I would say that people need to know that that's to know that they can get help. To know, people don't sometimes people don't know that there are people who come to your home. And there are a lot of different ways to get access to an IBCLC for people in every budget and price point. There are places here in Tampa where you can go like Baby Cafe. You can drop in and work with a CLC for free. You have to go to them in their office, but it's free. That's
0: cool. I've never
2: heard of that. I did six years as a healthy start lactation consultant. So I was an IBCLC five years, six years, five and a half years. The pandemic happened in the middle. So it's all a haze. I was the IBCLC for healthy start. And so I would go to people's homes who are underprivileged, don't have access Mm -hmm. to things, And some of, a lot of those, because really that's the same population as people who have preterm babies, who have babies because of health concerns, who have complications. Those two Mm -hmm. things go hand in hand. Most of the complications do not happen to people who have means. Right. Disparity is so real. So just knowing that that there's help, that there can be free resources, they can also go to WIC and see the WIC IBCLC or the mm-hmm. peer counselors there, the moms who have experience and can coach you along. They don't have to go to WIC for formula. They can go just for breastfeeding help. Okay. So anyway, to answer your question, I feel like I lost your question in there. Well,
1: okay. Um, I have a follow-up to that question. So cool. let's say, because I, I hear about this a lot. A mom is in the hospital, maybe, who you know, regardless of whether she wants to be there for her birth or not, she's in the hospital. She has a NICU baby. And sometimes we hear about not, obviously, you wouldn't do this, but there could be other L&D nurses or LCs there who are pushing formula for a NICU baby. Maybe the doctor's pushing this. And the mom is like, first of all, you know, a NICU baby who needs extra help is probably not going to be benefiting from formula. And there's risk to formula, probably needs that colostrum what can a vulnerable mom do when she's in this disarray already in postpartum and she's refusing the formula? What are her rights and how can she Mm -hmm. get her baby breast milk?
2: Yes. So there are definitely options. I love that there is donor milk available for NICU babies. And there is also the opportunity for her to hand express as soon as Mm -hmm. possible to pump. Mm-hmm. Uh, our policy at my hospital is that 2 hours after delivery she will be given a high quality electric breast pump to start pumping if her baby is is a NICU transfer. Wow. And our NICU transfers are upstairs, they're not in a different building so they're really close by so as soon as she is out of the bed into a wheelchair post op or if it was a vaginal delivery she can go right up and be with her baby as soon as she's ready. Mm-hmm you know that early skin to skin hand expression mm-hmm. and it, if that's not enough then using donor milk
0: yeah because and the, i
2: think- milk from another mom is going to be the next best thing at
0: least it's I- human milk I definitely want to talk about that too. I also think it's incredibly important for moms to un- like have the right expectations about breastfeeding, especially first-time moms. So maybe we can get into that, which is, mm. it, it's not going to be this free-flowing milk from day one. It's going to change over time. And you had mentioned, Kat, the colostrum. If, if moms, let's assume that they didn't do any research about their breast milk or have read anything ahead of time, can you help set some expectations of what early breastfeeding would look and feel like?
2: Absolutely. I love explaining this to brand new moms because now, now being an L&D, most of the moms that I'm working with are just an hour postpartum. When Mm -hmm. we're talking about breastfeeding, it's not like day four, day five. It's immediately. And their immediate concern after the first feed, everyone says, well, I don't know if she got anything. Yeah. I don't know if he's getting anything. And I just always remind them that in the beginning, it's not about volume. Mm -hmm. To, To not even, to just, let's take volume and just put it in another place. We are not worried about that. We're Mm -hmm. not worried about how much they're getting. Was it sufficient? Was it enough minutes? Was it enough milliliters? That doesn't matter. It's just about what matters in the first breastfeeds in those first day or two is how it feels. That you're doing it. Mm -hmm. That everyone's practicing Really, that's yep. what matters. It's a sensory experience in the beginning yeah. for the baby. It is a developmental experience. It is a hormonal experience on the mom's mm-hmm. side. If the baby is suckling, it's contracting her uterus and helping to prevent too much bleeding. Yeah. That's what's important in the beginning. Exactly. But the baby's warm and skin to skin with a nipple mm-hmm. in their face. And, you know, it's it ounces, milliliters, minutes, none of that matters in those first in those first feeds.
0: Great reminder. I want to share
2: an observation
1: I have and tell me if you think this is accurate. I think due to social media and moms seeing just these bottles filled to the brim, mm-hmm. I think moms have these unrealistic expectations about how much milk a newborn actually needs, even in the first few months. And this is kind of tangentially related, but when moms see other moms on social media with these massive freezer stashes and they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to pump hundreds of ounces of milk. And then, but we're not like asking, okay, but why? And Mm -hmm. Gladys, one one time we were sitting on the couch together and you told me, I think maybe a theory you had about Mm -hmm. like what started this trend on social media with moms having these huge freezer stashes and perceived low supply and mom spilling yeah. bottles, eight ounces, right? And inadvertently stretching their baby's bellies. Can we talk about all these things? Cause they're happening mm-hmm. left and right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. So I think you're absolutely right that it is a social media thing. Mm-hmm. That is, that is my theory. That's the whole theory mm-hmm. uh, because, okay. So I get, I'll give a little backstory. My older two kids are 20 and 17. And so when they were babies in the La Leche League community, nobody had, if you were breastfeeding, you didn't have a freezer stash. Right. I knew a couple of moms who worked and pumped and they might have had like one or two little bags of milk in the freezer extra, but they would just pump at work and then the nanny would give that milk the next day. Mm -hmm. And that was the working moms. They had one or two little bags in the freezer Mm -hmm. for a rainy day. And that's how things were 20, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then during the time that I was working at WIC, that was kind of during the social media explosion. Mm. I didn't have a young baby at that time. So I wasn't really like in the mom group world per se, but I was seeing it firsthand where people were coming to me and saying, so how much milk do I need to have frozen? I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) Why? (laughs) For what? And of course, sometimes there's, there's a reason. So like, for example, if someone says, I'm going out of town on this date, I'll be gone for 48 hours. My baby will be five months old. How much milk do I need in the freezer and at what pace should I be freezing? Okay, mm-hmm. you can do the math on that and I will talk you through it. There's a reason. But if it's just some kind of security blanket, right, against losing your milk supply, I think that's what it is. I think people are afraid of losing their milk supply. Yes. You see that everyone else has this freezer gleaming with Medella gold. It's like this yellow, yeah, oh, you know, like the Holy Grail.
0: It and is then, sacred stuff.
2: <laughs> and then everyone feels like they're behind if they don't mm-hmm. do this, which is similar to, you know, how people feel about being behind with everything else they see on social media. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to Greece yet. I haven't been mm-hmm. to Greece. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, there's all these things that I see people doing. And I'm like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's, we're just so, we're so vulnerable to what we see other people doing and, you know, getting that sense of like, am I enough doing it the way that I'm doing it?
1: It seems like social media has made moms, postpartum moms, even more paranoid and vulnerable. And it's Mm -hmm. just an endless cycle of comparison and like, oh, now my baby needs an eight ounce bottle and now she needs a 10 ounce bottle. It's like, how about your baby just needs two
2: ounces? The portion thing is a whole other kettle of fish. So I really think that that one, that like the the foundation of the unusually large portions that comes from formula feeding culture spilling into breastfeeding culture.
0: And I think that that's what
2: happens when you have grandparents who bottle fed and they are advising their young adult children Mm -hmm. who don't know about babies And they're saying, you're not feeding that baby enough. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Or where the new parents have babysat as, you know, teenagers or young adults, they babysat their nieces and nephews, their nieces and nephews were fully formula fed, bottle fed. And they see that a four month old takes an eight ounce bottle.
0: Yep. Because
2: that's what they are familiar with. So then when they have their own child, they think that that's normal.
0: Yeah, I want to share a little bit about that because I'm a first-time mom, Gladys, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I had a home had- birth, and the my breastfeeding relationship had a challenge in the early, early days. She latched right after, but unbeknownst to us, she was full of ties, oh. and so it was just a very dysfunctional early start, but my midwives were like, don't sweat it. Just put her to the breast, keep training her, like you said. And then we hand expressed and gave her like little syringes for the first couple. But now we we end up having the ties released. We have a beautiful relationship. And I'm looked at like, sometimes I have three heads because I feed on demand. I don't have a backup supply. And I have girlfriends who've had babies around the same time as me. And I'm seeing that they're, you know, coming out with those pumps right on the boobs, like full and pouring out. And I'm like, am I, am, is there something going on? But then, you know, I'll have cat in my head being like, your baby's gaining weight. <laughs> She's developmentally strong, like you're doing well. So I think it's a good reminder too, of just check the cues of your baby's health versus like you said, the volume. So what are some cues that we should advise our our new moms to look out for to make sure that they are, their babies are healthy and they don't have this paranoia or fear of a low mm-hmm. supply or limited supply? Can you share about that? Yes. And I will also add in that that I think
2: that that is one of the most universal concerns. Mm-hmm. I think every new mom in our culture starts off the breastfeeding journey with that concern of are they getting enough? How do I know they're getting enough? Mm-hmm. I think it's the number one thing that people need to know. So it is so easy to know that a baby is getting enough. If you just observe them, you just look at them and you can look for body language So body language would be, for example, if the baby goes onto the breast, tight, tight fists, their arms pulled towards their their face and their chest, fidgeting, fussing. And then when they're done feeding, they're relaxed. Their arms are Mm -hmm. open and loose. Their hands are open. Their face is kind of leaned over. You know, they're just, they look milk drunk. Yeah. You look at them, that will tell you so much. The other thing that a a new parent can watch for is diapers. The diapers will not lie. They never Mm -hmm. lie. So anytime someone or my clients will ask me after, you know, like, let's say, you know, our appointment has already passed and they're texting me and they're just saying, like, I don't know if this is working and how do I know he's getting enough? I always ask, how are the diapers? Mm -hmm. My first question.
1: I want to clarify too, because at first, because I did ask you that at one point, the the only time I ever had a concern about supply, I think Julian was around five or six months. Mm. And um, I texted you, Gladys. I was like, how do I know? You said the diaper output, but I was like, do you mean poops or peas? And here's the reason I was concerned. He was always very regular. He was never one of those constipated babies. But then once he hit around five and a half months, I think there was a three-day stretch where he didn't poop. And for some moms, they're like, that's normal. My my baby doesn't poop for 10 days. Well, not in this household. So mm-hmm. I texted you, but you clarified for me, like, don't worry about poops at that age, especially it's the pee outputs. And that gave mm-hmm. me so much peace of mind. Yes. So that's what you mean, mm-hmm. right? The pee
2: outputs? Yes. Yeah, I should clarify. So okay. in the beginning, in the first couple of weeks, we expect poop and pee with pretty much every feeding. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, they're, they're, I don't know, the poops can be a little bit irregular. That can mm-hmm. vary from baby to baby. And as time goes on, there's so much change with the poop where yeah. they start off going regularly and then they drop off. Some babies are going once a day at three months old, some are going twice a week. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a very controversial topic in lactation. Some people say that that is not okay. Some people say that it is okay. So we're, I don't even wanna get into that one. Yeah. But as far as the urine output, Just like you and I, if you look at it and it's dark, that's dehydration. And if you Mm -hmm. look at it and it's clear or yellow, light yellow, that's normal. Okay. And so everything you already know about watching your own body, your Mm -hmm. own cues, you can apply to this. Relaxed means satisfied. Pale means hydrated. It sounds easier than we're making it out to be. The next thing that I always remind parents of is that you can also look at how things fit your baby and see Mm. them change over time. So if on Tuesday, this onesie fit perfectly, but today it's too snug, then he's getting enough milk.
0: Yeah. That's Eden. That's my daughter. Homegirl's been in twelve months since she was like four and five months. Oh <laughs> She's growing like crazy. I do want to talk about some feeding cues as well. So we talked about cues for if they're getting enough, which it sounds like, if you're putting your baby to your breast as often as you can, your baby's going to get what they need. What are some cues, feeding cues for for new moms to make sure that they're putting the baby to the breast often? Mm. So, this might be one of those spots
2: where I feel like I have like a controversial mm. opinion. It's maybe an we unexpected one. An unexpected. <laughs> so, and this is just maybe this just comes from having done this for so many years where I've heard people be concerned about this. And I'm like, we're just, you're just overthinking it. It's just mm-hmm. don't overthink it. <laughs> stay in yeah. like, really just like stay like, Easy and in the moment with this. I look at the breast as the answer for everything the newborn needs. I mean, if we're talking about just like newborns, like the first, Mm -hmm. you know, eight to 10 weeks, pretty much every problem they have will be solved by going to the breast. And so, this concept of hunger cues puts the emphasis on hunger, and it's not always hunger. So, sometimes they want to breastfeed because they're cold. Sometimes they want to breastfeed because they're hot. Sometimes they want to breastfeed because they're they don't to stay like in the room. Sometimes mm-hmm. they want to breastfeed because they have to poop. Sometimes they want to breastfeed because they're hungry. I love so that. So I just like hunger cute, Like, I feel like people get real wrapped up in it. Yes, mm-hmm. borns typically will bring their hands towards their mouth and suck on them when they're willing. When they're rooting, they're looking for something. Mm-hmm. And that's a great time to go for it. Because if you can do it before they're crying, it's easier. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a good time to latch, is before they're crying, when you see them licking their lips, opening their mouth, turning their head side to side, bringing their hands towards their face. And really, anytime their hands are near their midline, they're queuing. They're cueing okay. they are willing to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, are they hungry? I don't know.
0: Right. But that's a good simplification. I like that a lot. It's very simple. Just stay attuned to your baby. And anything that they're having issue with, your boobie mm-hmm. will solve. Yeah, pretty much.
2: That. Check a diaper and put them to the breast. That's it. Amazing. So easy. It's so much easier than
1: we, you know, not maybe not we here, but in general our as a culture. whole, our culture, right? Like we we make things out to be so much more complicated. To me, the theme so far is watch your baby and their cues. Don't necessarily watch a timer, a scale. Mm -hmm. I don't know, a social media clip of a mom filling up her freezer to the brim. It's like, just watch your baby, right? Less numbers.
2: And this is one of the things that's really interesting to me that I've learned over the years. New moms cognitively are in a really different space. Yes. And so I really try to make a point to remember to not use a ton of numbers when I work with them. I try to give them instructions that are not numerically based, not X number of minutes, not this pattern and schedule. Just look for these images, look for these themes, look for this pattern so they can kind of feel out what's going on with their baby and not be wrapped up in the numbers because cognitively that's not like developmentally appropriate for where the mother is at that moment. Right. He needs to be a little bit more fluid and visually attuned.
0: Yeah, I think that's your anthropology background coming out a little too of just like, (laughs) take it way back in the day. Like we didn't have we weren't bound by clocks and, and Mm -hmm. milliliters and all that. So that's great.
1: That um, gave me a lot of peace of mind too as a new mom because I call myself messy organized and I'm always like five to 10 minutes fashionably late. I'm not great with clocks and track. <laughs> I don't like to track things and numbers. I'm more mm-hmm. of like a an intuit. I like languages and the arts and things. So for me, reading my baby's cues was so much easier than, okay, yes. let me write down. What time did you eat? What time did you pee? I just want to tell you I'm I'm remembering now because I had mm-hmm. three days post-op in the hospital with Julian
0: and mm-hmm. one of the
1: things that really bugged me and look I get it the L&D nurses are doing their jobs I know they mean well this is their training they have someone to report to that person the charge nurse has someone to report to but Eric and I were asked okay poops and peas poops and peas and I'm just like I'm resting. I want to nurse my baby. I'm not tracking mm-hmm. the poops and the peas. He seems mm-hmm. happy at the breast. Like, can we all happily move on? And they needed mm-hmm. to know poops and peas. And probably sometimes we were like made up like, yeah, there was like two peas and a poop. I'm like, I don't yeah. know. I yeah. don't know. Right? It's funny because I'm the
2: opposite. opposite. It's so true. Sometimes we have patients where, and where you, like you just know that it's, they're making it up. But you know <laughs> that's you know, it. it's fine but as long as like, the baby's breastfeeding well like I know the baby's breastfeeding well because I watch the baby breastfeed so like whatever make up your numbers mm-hmm. it's fine thank you but I do have to put something in the computer right so like from that like postpartum nurse side I have to chart a certain mm-hmm. number of feeds and a certain number of diaper outputs in order to clock out of my shift
0: mm. Okay. And, and that is
2: it is from a safety perspective because they are housing you. And if something uh, if something were to go wrong, There's... then they are responsible.
0: Liability. Right. That's some The Parents could
2: it. do and say, How could you let my baby get dehydrated on your watch? Yeah, ouch. Right? We live and in a life suggest society. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, you know, environment makes a big difference because developmentally, cognitively, mm-hmm. I feel like it's appropriate for the new mom to not be worried about the number, but just to know that it's sufficient. And so what I sometimes tell people, if they're, if, cause I don't really recommend like using an app or cracking every little detail, but sometimes breastfeeding is not going well. And that's a reality. It's great when it goes well, but sometimes it's not. And when it's not going well, that's why there's lactation consultants, right? Right. Um, and so I do see people who have I've worked with dehydrated babies. I've worked with babies where we were like, we have to track things, but mm-hmm. I don't want it to go to a place where it's
0: too yeah,
2: too numerical, too stressful. So what I sometimes advise people to do that's easy is I say, just put all of the diapers in a small trash can instead of in a diaper pail where they're hidden.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And every 24 hours, just take a survey out and count of them. Them.
0: there. That's smart. It doesn't I matter what this. time
2: they're from, mm-hmm. but were there six or seven diapers in 24 hours? Okay, we're good. Whether well, there's okay. three, we're not good. Mm-hmm. Because it's important for people to know when it's good, but it's also important for people to know what to look out for.
0: Yeah. And I was, I'm the opposite of cat. So I'm, I'm more in that opposite side of my brain. So I was okay. a mom who, <laughs> yeah, who had like the tracker and my husband especially really wanted us to do is like, okay, she ate 20 minutes ago. And, and we, we did that for like four hours and I'm hmm. like, I can't, this is the, my head's not here. And I just want to look at her. And I will say for the new moms out there, it becomes so easy and so intuitive to watch your baby. Like, it's so amazing to me how quickly you become an expert in your baby. It doesn't take a long time of observation for you to feel like, oh, I know exactly what that cry means, or I know exactly what that movement means. It happens so fast. And the only thing you have to do is watch your baby.
2: You know, what's amazing. It's I love that you brought that up because I worked with a new family a couple of weeks ago and the first day I saw them, the baby was five days old and mm-hmm. the dad and the mom were both like, we don't know what his cries mean yet. We feel lost. And I said, you will, yeah. you will give it a little time. I saw them exactly one week later and the baby made a particular cry and the dad said, oh, he needs his diaper changed.
0: Yeah, that's the it's cry. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful knew, thing. Uh, in
2: the span of one week, they learned this. Kid.
0: It's it's just amazing. Like, amazing. It's a miracle how it all works out. Before we move on to kind of the feeding stuff, because I I do want to get into you know the the differences between formula and and breast milk. The other thing that surprised me was the Dolly Parton face. <laughs> right mm-hmm. so all of the changes in your body as your milk is quote your milk is coming in right it's evolving from the colostrum to the to milk can we talk about that <laughs> and well, can mom- we help help our new moms kind of understand what's what's a degree of normal and some tips to relieve that discomfort mm-hmm. can we get into that cuz that shocked the hell out of me when i was like boom all of a sudden i had these barrels and yeah. I was just leaking milk. It's like, that's normal, <laughs> right? Or is it? Tell me. I don't yeah, know. You're the it expert. is normal.
2: So it is It is shocking for most people. And it's good for people to know that it happens most dramatically with the first pregnancy and baby. It happens less dramatically mm-hmm. the more babies that you have. So mm-hmm. sometimes people are on their third baby and they say, I don't know if my milk came in. Is that normal? Mm. Yeah. Sometimes that's normal with the third or fourth baby. What's happening is that your placenta hormones have fully left your body and that is triggering a change in your milk production where your colostrum is being replaced by mature milk and the volume is not based on your baby's needs. It is just based on the amount of placental hormones that had filled Mm. up receptor sites and the amount of receptor sites that are available. So it is Amazing. placental driven. It is not supply and demand at that phase.
0: Okay, that's really important to know.
2: Yeah, well, most people don't know that. Everyone seems to think that in the beginning, you're just going to like, you know, yes, everyone knows that your milk comes in and they get super full and hard and swollen and leaky. Mm-hmm. And they think that that is based on the breastfeeding that they've been doing for the first couple of days. Mm-hmm. And so what I always tell people is that Everyone gets that breastfeeding, not breastfeeding. If you want it, you don't want it. Everyone starts off then,
0: okay.
2: And then what happens next is your body learns your baby. Mm
0: -hmm. So that's the cool part, yeah. Yeah,
2: this is the cool part where then your supply will regulate to match where your baby is as far as managing that swelling in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That is something that is pretty controversial because there's different tactics and techniques that people have and they're not everyone is in agreement about those. Okay. Like what works and what doesn't work. So, like for example, some people have heard the suggestion to use cold cabbage leaves at that phase. And that is a, you know, it's an easy, natural, over-the-counter kind of home remedy. But some people say, some lactation consultants say that if you do that at that phase, that that can be problematic and drop your supply too much. Mm-hmm. We don't know
0: why that would be. I don't know. I um, used the cabbage and it was such wow, a relief it work? in my bra. Yeah, I had that thing like frozen and then I would mm-hmm. just put a big slice over it and the just the comfort of the cold, it helped. Exactly. So what I'm thinking
2: is that it's just cold pressure,
0: yeah, and that exactly. helps to relieve
2: inflammation and swelling. Like you could put that on a headache, and it would help, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. Exactly. So that's one that's a little bit controversial, but I find, personally, you know, that seems easy and fairly benign. Like if it drops supply too low, like we could fix that. Like we'll mm-hmm. just stop using it. Mm-hmm. But really, it, it wouldn't drop supply too low because that's not what's making sense in that phase of time, right? Behind the scenes. So anyway, there's cold cabbage leaves and there is also hand expression or milk removal. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Some people are tempted to pump at this phase or use the haka, which is I will April, say face. <laughs> on the record that the haka <laughs> is such a cool it's such a cool gadget. But people do not treat it like a pump, which it is. Yeah. I, it creates suction. So it triggers in your brain an increase no. of supply because yeah. it reads as a feed. Because that, it stretches it
0: I think my maternal instinct knew that because when I was going through that, I didn't, I didn't want to screw anything up because we already had the tie situation. So I when I was really swollen and really full, I was terrified to put any device on there because I didn't want to screw up the supply. And I remember texting my midwives and they're like, it's okay to hand express or if you have your hand pump, just to pump a little. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And I'm glad I didn't. I ended up just going in the shower and literally like milking myself. But yeah. Similar.
2: Mm -hmm. Similar. It Mm -hmm. seems so Mm -hmm. similar. And a lot of times people – feel like if it's an electric pump it'll increase supply if it's a hand pump it won't or they'll Mm -hmm. say well it's you know it's not a pump it's the haka well Mm -hmm. this is this is where knowing a little bit about the science of like what drives supply is helpful Mm -hmm. if it stretches the nipple it sends the hormonal response in your brain that it's a baby feeding so is the nipple under suction and is it stretched or are we just massaging the milk out? So if it's squeezing the milk out by hand, that's fine. That doesn't increase supply. And if it is suction, it will. And so the, people might be wondering like, why would it be bad to increase supply? Because our whole culture is stuck in this scarcity mentality of like not enough, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So people don't realize that you could actually have too much milk. And that can, it comes with its own set of challenges. Now, you know, if I had to pick between having too much and not enough, I would pick too much because sure. that's, easy, that's easier to fix. We can turn right. that down. There's tips and tricks to tone it down a little bit. And it's a lot harder to increase. Mm-hmm. So I would rather if a client is like going one way or the other, like we can go a little bit up and then turn it down, but it is, um, it is not advisable for someone when their milk first comes in to just start pumping like crazy because they they are teaching their body to make more milk mm. than what their real baby needs and then they are dependent on pumping and they don't then they don't have the yeah. choice to pump they have to pump or else they will get plugged ducts and mastitis yes which is I a real point problem.
1: out here super real problem and I want to point out here that moms this is going to sound like a hot take but you do not need to pump. There, Eight there is months. a time and a place for it. If you are returning to the office, you're, you know, going away. Sure. You want to pump so that you can maybe have a, a a lit, not a freezer stash, but some stored away. But I just want to say I've Julian's nine months old, still breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, he's refused three out of four bottles. I've pumped <laughs> less than a handful of times in my entire mm-hmm. life. Obviously, if I had to return back to work and I wasn't and I wasn't even working from home, right? Yes, I'd have to pump. But there are still moms out there that don't pump. Call it what mm-hmm. you want. Maybe that's controversial. Maybe moms don't like to hear the truth, but you don't have to. If someone's telling you have to pump, mm-hmm.
2: that is not true, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's also kind of like a, another like a another point to that that maybe people haven't gotten to like in their personal story yet. So if, if this is you, you know, like maybe this will, will resonate. Some people are also just not good at pumping.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like their body doesn't respond to the pump and that's okay.
0: Yeah. As long like, as your baby I'm is responding to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm one of those people.
2: I exclusively breastfed four kids.
0: Yeah. Until and what you're... ages for each? Yeah. Okay.
2: So the first one for 11 months and three weeks. <laughs> Oh, so it's 12 months and I we got counting. So close. Uh-huh. But I was a, I was 19 years old, so I give myself a pass. And wow. then the other ones until two and a half.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I so
2: child number two self-weaned at around two and a half. Child number three, I was also breastfeeding her baby sister. So we were tandem nursing, and I wow. let her go to two and a half, and then I cut her off because it was yeah. one day. I was like, okay, we gotta just they're yeah. this model. You're two and a half, like you're fine. <laughs> and I'm just going to breastfeed your little sister. And then the little that one, is- um, she, she self-weaned around
1: oh, yeah. two and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. So April and I both discussed offline that we love the idea of our baby self-weaning and breastfeeding has been such a beautiful experience for us that we don't believe in setting like strict timelines of, obviously, if you have to set a boundary, you have to set a boundary, right? And two and a half is very different than six months, but we're just mm-hmm. going to let them wean when they want. But Why do you think it is that our culture and our society has this fixation with, you know, kind of being disturbed by moms who breastfeed after a certain age, like after six months or after a year? Why are we so fixated on that? Why can't we just relax?
2: Oh, that's a good question. So I think it's just, I think it's a mix of things that we have like over-sexualized breasts and, yes. that it's, and that we haven't seen that much breastfeeding, just like not, just not being familiar with it. Exposed. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. It, it, for me, before having a child, I would see women breastfeeding, even babies. And I would say, Oh, that's so perverted. Like it felt like a sexual thing because that's how I was raised. Like boobs are sexual. Yeah, so that's what you were told. Now I'm on the other side and I'm like, I'm going to nurse this thing till she's <laughs> going to kindergarten. I don't know. Oh, oh, okay. Anyway. Okay. We're kind of running press on time and I want to get into the, the debate between formula and breast milk. Yeah. We are Such hearing a, good topic. a lot that fed is best. Oh. And I want to get your, you know, guttural reaction to that what do you think about formula versus breast milk that is such a good topic so the fed is best
2: slogan is not helping people it is not helping people it it that is fed is like the bare minimum standard Mm -hmm. Fed keeps you alive that is presumed, like, presume. like, we don't need to say that. Mm-hmm. There are going to be situations where a baby doesn't have access to breast milk, and that baby will be fed. We don't have to mm-hmm. advertise this, because then what this does is this tells people, you know, that crying so hard at breastfeeding means something, like, negative about you personally. Like, you were too obsessed. You were too... Mm-hmm. You know, like type A mom, like trying to like manage your situation too tightly, whatever. It makes it feel like prioritizing breastfeeding is doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. When really breastfeeding is the biological norm. hmm yeah. So
1: let me just recap some other points I heard related to this earlier in the podcast is the the number one best thing you can do is, of course, putting your baby to the breast. If that's not working for whatever reason, the next best thing, of course, it sounds like would be your own milk in a bottle. But if you don't have the supply, donor milk would rank mm-hmm. higher than even the best
2: bougiest organic formula, like from Europe. Is that Absolutely. correct? Yeah, and so what you're saying actually comes straight from the WHO hierarchy of infant feeding. So the World Health Organization has a outlined hierarchy of what order to feed your child in. So if you have your own milk directly from the tap, that's the best at the breast. The next best is your own milk pre-pumped. The next best is another person's milk pumped for your baby donor milk. And we could talk about formal versus informal milk sharing, because that is a soapbox that I love too. Maybe that's for another day. But so that would be the next best thing. And then the next best thing below that would be infant formula. And when you talk about formula, there's so many different options. There Mm -hmm. are American commercial formulas. There are international commercial formula, So that would be like when you order a can of formula from another country, because they do have much cleaner food. They have stricter laws about what's going to be in foods, Mm. higher safety and, and food production standards. So that is something that a lot of people do access if they know that they want to use formula or they have fear and they need to have formula- and that's a whole other topic too, is that mm. emergency can, what is it for? Uh, because if it's sitting there staring at you, yes, you're going to use it. We had I, a listener question people, on that. I usually mm. tell people, especially like, I mean, really like all of my clients, but if I work with someone prenatally and they say, okay, and I want to have this emergency formula just in case, I say, don't have it. Because if you have it, you will use it. There will be a day when that is the best choice. In your mind, because you're scared, you're worried about your baby. And those are problem; those are problems that you probably can breastfeed through.
1: Okay, so real quick, I have an anecdote about this. There was a hurricane, as you remember, Gladys, Mm. when I was eight weeks postpartum with Julian on the southwest Mm. coast of Florida, and we drove a four-hour drive became an eight-hour drive with an eight-week-old. I had a family member. Uh, kind of tell me, like, so you're going to have some backup emergency formula, quote, just in case, right? Like, because there was a natural disaster. And I quickly said, no, we're not doing that. I didn't want to offend, right, any personal mm-hmm. opinions or whatever. I said, no, we won't be doing that. And breastfeeding's going great. So I was kind of confused, like, wh- if he's not even taking a bottle and I'm just feeding on demand, why would you need emergency formula? Gladys, you and I briefly discussed this concept of how Moms who are not breastfeeding, it's its a, an unfortunate truth. It's an inconvenient truth, but moms who are not breastfeeding, who are relying on formula, are actually the most vulnerable in times of natural disasters. Can you speak to that phenomenon? Yeah,
2: and I actually, I love this topic so much. I gave a presentation to WIC, to the WIC staff about, like the general WIC staff about it one year that I worked there. So a lot of people don't realize, but infant formula is not as easy to prepare as people may think. You are supposed to prepare powdered formula with boiling water, not because the water's not clean, but because there's bacteria in the powder. We know it. It's not a maybe. There is bacteria. It's not a sterile product. And so, because that unhealthy bacteria, I have to say unhealthy because breast milk has so many healthy live components, it's also not sterile but in a good way. But the formula, because it has unhealthy bacteria present in the powder, sitting in the can unopened, mm-hmm. you have to have boiling water. And it's really hard to boil water if you don't have a stove. Mm-hmm. If you're in a motel, on the road, or at home with no power. Mm-hmm. In any of those situations, like, are you going to go make a campfire in your backyard to boil water Mm. to mix formula? I mean, maybe you will. But most people would just open a bottle of room temperature water and just mix the formula. And that can leave the baby susceptible to a ton of, like, ordinary type of digestive illnesses. So, like, you know, Mm. run-of-the-mill diarrhea, vomiting, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But also more sinister ones like necrotizing enterocolitis which is sometimes fatal oh so yeah big problems with mixing formula incorrectly whereas with breastfeeding all you need is you and your baby yeah that's all you need you can do it in the back seat of a car you can do it in a guest room you can do it in your house with no power you can do it anywhere so in an emergency protecting breastfeeding is going to Really protect babies. Whereas giving people emergency formula only derails breastfeeding because that can reduce a mom's milk supply. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then what she did have going so well can start to fall apart.
0: Yeah. And And for women, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you.
1: Well, for women who like to follow, you know, FDA and the WHO and CDC orders, it's actually going against the WHO guidelines, as you pointed Mm -hmm. out earlier.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those organizations, even though they're, they're not like, you know, crunchy and maybe not no. your not the your, but they do mm-hmm. get this right. They yeah. do. They, they have a, like a concrete order of what milk is best. Mm-hmm. They got it right, in my opinion. And they also suggest that people not suggest, but their instructions are very clear. They say to use boiling water. prepare formula Mm -hmm. to protect babies lives. But I also think it's helpful to remember that their audience is not the American mainstream or, you know, Western culture mom. They're not Mm -hmm. talking to, you know, they're talking to people in India, in the Sudan, in Mm -hmm. remote places. And they Mm -hmm. are telling these people, do not buy into this Western fantasy of formula. It is not Mm -hmm. going to help you because I like think that. of people who literally are living in shacks on right. rivers, and they are washing their little baby bottles mm. in this river, and they have no means to prepare formula correctly.
0: What a good reminder that but this is other- the World Health Organization. Yes,
2: they are not just talking to us in our little bubble. Mm-hmm. They are talking to people all over the world. Um,
0: yeah. And there's a Um, whole host of benefits to, yeah, there's a whole host of benefits to human milk over formula. And I think the idea of donor milk might feel a little taboo or weird. Uh. So I want us to normalize that because of the benefits of human milk. So I read The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, which is a La Leche League book in those early days, because I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. And you read about how human milk has interferon and white blood cells and antibacterial agents and antiviral agents, and it evolves with your baby. So if your baby comes down with an illness, your milk automatically Mm -hmm. creates those antibodies. And I think that's beautiful. And there's no way that that can be replicated in a formula there's just yeah there's, the way, so. there's really not it is
2: such a unique product every every day it's different
0: mm-hmm. and even times um, of the day yeah it can times be thicker, of the day better. it is mm-hmm.
2: it's so fantastic the other thing that and formula is always trying to replicate breast milk but the other thing that breast milk has that now formula companies are trying to jump on the bandwagon with is oligosaccharides so mm-hmm. these are carbohydrates that our body cannot digest. Newborns mm-hmm. cannot digest oligosaccharides. Mm-hmm. And so for years, people wondered, why are there so many oligosaccharides in breast milk? Why are they there? And then we found out that they are there because the bacteria in the baby's digestive system feeds on them. Mm-hmm. And that creates a healthy microbiome. Mm-hmm. But the baby's not intended to eat them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The digestive system is. Right. Yeah. And so if you are feeding a baby formula, for example, that doesn't have oligosaccharides, we're feeding the baby, but we're not feeding the baby's microbiome.
0: Which is the most important part of the baby to for defense, right? And all kinds of regulation. Yeah, well, I mean it just sets
2: up the appropriate just the appropriate defenses for the Mm -hmm. entire wellness of that person going forward Mm -hmm. in their life.
0: Incredibly important. And I was shocked to see my backup OB gave me a little bag, and it had a formula ten in it. And I was so shocked to see that there was corn syrup in it. Yeah, gross. Why? I was Why like, are you putting corn what syrup in the... formula? That shocked because me. Because it's
2: affordable and available in high quantities. And it's it's so really, it's really, really sad. Mm-hmm. It's
1: horrible. It's really um, sad. So frustrating. I, I do have a quick question about donor milk, though. I know we're like almost up on time here, but. I'm sure there's tons of moms who are like, okay, okay, I'm sold on this idea of that donor milk is better than even the best formula. But one, how can I even start to figure out where to get donor milk? And two, I know for a fact there's a lot of moms who are going to be very specific with wanting donor milk that is free of schmaxines, for example, (laughs) and some other you know, maybe diseases and stuff. So Gladys, you once told me a really great analogy of like donor milk scams on the market. Like we don't pay for things that are free, like blood, blood donations, for example. Can you walk us through that and any other donor milk tips? How can moms
2: get their hands on clean donor milk? Oh, okay. So I guess I need to give a little bit of backstory information on this. So earlier I said two phrases. I said informal and formal milk sharing. Mm -hmm. So what that means is informal is just, I have milk. You need it. You have milk. I need it. I'm going to give you some milk. You're going to give me some milk. That is just moms helping each other Mm -hmm. Informal milk sharing. Formal milk sharing involves the human milk bank of North America where milk, milk can be banked similar to blood that is for NICU babies. It's been pasteurized. Mm -hmm. It's been mass batched, which means they mix the milk of thousands of women together, to find the exact macronutrient profile that they're looking for. And yeah. they, they filter it, they test it. They've, they've done tons of processing to the milk. Whoa. And when it's pasteurized, you do lose a lot of those. I mean, almost all of the live components, right? Right. So you still have a, it's still better than formula. Yeah. But it's like human milk formula almost in that sense, because yeah. it's been so processed. And insurance pays for it when you're in the hospital. So if you have, let's say like an ultra preterm baby, right? And let's say the mom gets started pumping really early, but there were complications with her recovery. So maybe it didn't go well. And she ends up with a less than ideal milk supply. So when she's pumping, she's only able to bring maybe an ounce or two per day to the hospital, but the baby's gonna be in the NICU for three months. The baby's gotta eat something. So that milk would be the best choice at that point. But it's oh my goodness your baby uh so it is I don't know I don't love the the formal the formal model I don't love formal milk sharing but yeah. I do love informal which is where moms help each other and that is something that has a long history as far as finding what a person feels comfortable with when it comes to, you know, a person's health history and what they're intaking, that is going to depend on what you as a recipient are comfortable with and the questions that you're asking your donor. So mm-hmm. it helps when the people that are in your circle, who are the people who are going to provide to you informally, when they have the same values that you have. Yeah. So Great answer. I am, I'm on the crunchy side, but maybe a little bit less so. Because if I if something had happened to me, I instructed my husband I told him, like, if anything happens to me, like these are the people that you contact. This is like worst case scenario, like very like morbid. <laughs> it's like the same happens thing. To me delivery yeah. formula here. Like yes. these are the people you contact and they have already agreed to provide milk for our baby.
0: That's beautiful.
2: As and opposed
1: to your husband
2: giving your baby formula. Right. right. Yeah. Cause okay. I told him that was a no go. If something happens to me, these are the people who will feed this baby. <laughs> and I don't it- care what they eat, it's fine. I don't whatever. I'm I'm they'll not figure scared. that
0: out. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: because I just trust that human milk is just so perfect that I'm not really worried about right. All that extra stuff. But you know, that's a conversation to have if you're accepting informal milk donation. It's informed consent. Mm, that's yes. what it really comes down to, is that people need to know they need to ask questions and not do anything that they're not comfortable with. Beautiful. But when you were talking about the financial aspect, there is this new trend of people selling breast milk and of Mm. people buying breast milk. Mm -hmm. That's why it's dangerous. Yes. So this is such a a red flag issue because anytime Mm -hmm. there is money exchanged for something, we create an environment where people who will take advantage of others will take advantage it opens up that space and the only person who is vulnerable is the baby and they mm. don't have any say in the matter so an example of this is for example you know the fact that like you don't know what you get in the bag you don't know what's in the bag you have to just right. try it. and when people buy breast milk it usually goes for more costly than gold is ounce per ounce <gasps> whoa yeah it can be several dollars an ounce and if a baby is 24 sp- ounces a day, that's quite a lot. So what were you saying?
1: Well, even more specifically, a real risk. I remember you you gave me this example. Like, that's how you could end up inadvertently purchasing milk from
2: a someone who's using crack, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Who takes advantage of other people? Desperate people with bad situations, right? Yeah. And so people who are in that horrible space, they could be lactating. They
0: have babies. Right. And they point.
2: could see like, oh, my milk just came in. I'm formula feeding, but I'm going to pump this and sell it for $300 a day. That uh, is an so opportunity that, that could be taken. It could be taking advantage of somebody else who doesn't know to not pay for breast milk. So, so the good rule is really never pay for breast milk. The What's accepted as like an appropriate gesture of gratitude in the milk, informal milk sharing community is a thank you card. Mm-hmm. replacement bags because it does cost something for someone to have bags to pump their milk into maybe an occasional starbucks gift card but never mm-hmm. paying for the milk itself
0: okay Great point great point well, we don't I even wanna...
2: know if it's actually human milk it could be cow's milk watered down you never right. know dangerous too in another way yeah. i would never pay for milk never okay. okay
1: april how do you feel if we quickly talk about alcohol then questions then wrap is that okay
0: yeah, we have about 10 listener questions, so we'll do rapid fire. But if okay. we can just do, well, oh super fast, super fast. Yes. Glist, but the, people the first really thing that comes to mind,
1: <laughs> you received the most questions out of any of our guests so far. Yeah. Oh, it really? is an honor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh so because we are up on time, we'll do, we're will we going to do for the listener questions, just tell us in a nutshell, the first thing that comes to mind, but before we get to that, I know there's so much you could say on this hot topic, but can you just set the record straight on drinking alcohol and breastfeeding? There's so much bad information out there. We know a little bit is safe. How do we know how much is safe and why should we
2: not fearmonger this issue? So there isn't a set amount of alcohol that is determined to be safe, right? So what we know is that Your blood alcohol content is going to be the same as your breast milk alcohol content because your breast milk is made from your blood and the two seem to correlate. So your blood alcohol content is measured in 0.0 something of a percent, which is a teeny tiny quantity. It is not an alcoholic fluid at that point. So your breast milk, while it contains alcohol, if you're drinking something, it's not alcoholic even though it contains alcohol. And I... Kat, I might have given you this example of how if you put pure vanilla extract in a cup of yogurt for a small child, the vanilla extract is pure alcohol, the yogurt is not. You mix the two, there's alcohol in the yogurt but the yogurt is not alcoholic.
1: Love okay. that. Because we see oh. that there's marketed now, they do the breast milk or strips, right? Where you mm-hmm. can test to see like, oh, do you need to pump and dump? We know pumping and dumping is not necessary. Pumping and dumping right? is
2: the old school recommendation. It is no longer the standard. That is not the recommendation any longer. The recommendation is just to carry on and breastfeed your baby.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Admittedly, whether it's right or wrong, I will have a glass of wine every now and then. And yes, mm-hmm. I breastfeed. Mm-hmm. If I feel tipsy, I know that's not good because I can tell from my <laughs> blood alcohol content, that's not a good idea. I do not breastfeed when I feel tipsy and I will have a small glass of wine with me- with a meal. So the food is absorbing the wine. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I just okay. went on the record saying that. Don't judge me. <laughs> I don't, don't go think to there's sleep anything, anything wrong with that. that.
0: Okay, you you all heard it from an
1: IBCLC. There's nothing wrong with me having a glass of wine and
2: breastfeeding. There we go for the record. I will say this. This is another one of those like hot takes. This is my so many of these like soapbox things. I'm like, I can't stand the wording of this. So Mm -hmm. I detest the thing that people say all the time, which is, well, if you can drive, you can breastfeed. It is not okay to drive if you've been drinking any alcohol. Period. Yeah. Period. Full stuff. Do not drink mm-hmm. and drive. If you've had not two, even one sip, you shouldn't drive. One sip. I don't care if you don't feel tipsy. <laughs> All right, done. Okay,
1: but I, I do love your soapbox moments, though, because we love these bite-sized clips just that we can store away in our, our breastfeeding memories. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, let's get into these listener questions. Okay. Yes. Remember, just say the first thing that comes to mind okay. in a nutshell. All right, here we go. Number one, tongue ties. True ties versus overdiagnosed. Every baby is getting lasered lately. What do you think? We don't know yet. Okay. Takes time. Uh, Okay. Fair. Yeah. yeah. We'll we'll have to come. uh, (laughs) In 20 years,
2: we'll know.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Good. All right. Here's an interesting hot take one. Best formula in case milk doesn't come in on day one or in general for backup. Now, disclaimer, April and I did actually respond to this mom because we explained colostrum, there is no best formula. But could you even pick a, quote, best formula? Uh,
2: I don't know. I like whole, H-O-L-L-E, but was, milk doesn't come in on day one. You don't need formula. Boom. There we go. Okay, and you don't, <laughs> right, Not, you don't need a backup.
0: Right. Because if it's staring at you, it's You don't need a backup. Yes, it's true. So we, we did
1: address that. Okay, here's another hot topic one. Food allergies, best way to
2: find out. I would say if the baby has a rash around their anus, that is going to be that's not like a diaper rash just around the anus. That usually means food allergies. Okay, great.
1: Weight charts. Leave that up for interpretation. It was just weight charts.
2: Weight charts question mark. Yeah. Uh, So sometimes people are too obsessed with where people are plotting. And not every baby is going to be in the 95th percentile. It is not an A and 50th or below is not an F. Great.
1: Good. That's not how statistics work. Okay. Yeah. Because real quick, I'm barely five foot two. My husband is five foot eight. We're shorties, all right. No, there's not a single grandparent of Julian's who's above five foot ten, and that's really stretching it. So it's no surprise, you know, we do have a smaller baby. That's in his genetics, but the pee outputs are good, so we know breastfeeding's working out, and he's he's appropriately sized. Okay, next one. Tie
2: revisions: when to do and when not to do. I would do it if you've tried. Everything else, including working with a really good IBCLC, and your baby is not able to breastfeed appropriately, or there's Mm -hmm. unresolved issues that you just that are not compatible with continuing breastfeeding. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: How early can you pump milk to store for later use? Day one. Okay. If you
0: want to. And how long? I think the question is probably on storage. Like, how long Mm. can you keep it out? Keep it refrigerated. Keep it frozen. Oh,
2: okay. I see what you mean. It's good four to five days in the fridge, four to five hours room temperature. Okay. In the freezer for Advice- 12 months.
1: Six to 12 months. Advice on nursing in public. Nursing covers are so annoying. Ooh, we have some
2: thoughts on this too, yeah. but you go first, Matt. <laughs> Sometimes layering shirts will give you a little bit more comfort. Sometimes practicing at home in front of a mirror will show you what's actually showing. So you know, mm-hmm. because sometimes it's the unknown. We're, we're in our heads worried about what is showing. But if you already know, because you've practiced at home in front of a mirror, then sometimes the anxiety goes away.
1: Yeah, I um, say ditch the nursing cover.
2: The nursing covers. so
1: annoying. You know what I love? Just a big oversized shirt, like one of those big boyfriend shirts. Yeah. And then you just hike it up and your baby's underneath. So you don't see anything. But admittedly, it is really hard when you're still supporting the back of their head in those early weeks, and you're a first time mom who's never breastfed. It can be daunting feeling like everyone's watching, but actually, the opposite happens. People
0: divert their eyes, they don't want to
1: make you feel uncomfortable, or they feel uncomfortable or looking. So, no one
0: looks. They compliment you. I was nursing Eden out oh. in public, and a mom of three was walking by, and she's like, I love that you're doing this out here. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Because to yes. your point at the very top of the episode, Gladys, you said that it, it, when we were talking about older children nursing, it's like, well, we haven't been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. If we normalize it and we show that it's a beautiful, natural process, we can take the taboo away. So, it's, an everyday, people, yes. yeah, it's an everyday every thing, yes, it's an everyday thing. There is
2: nothing unusual going on here,
0: and no. I've mastered nursing in my baby carrier too. So mm-hmm. the, either a sling or the, you know, structured carrier. And that yep. way it's totally private. You just drop them down a little bit and and there you go. So yeah. Yes. And
2: my other like quick 30 second answer to that is what I would do when I was a brand new mom is when I arrived somewhere, I would scan the area to know like where am I going to sit when it's time to breastfeed. So when it was yes. time, it wasn't like a an emergency.
1: I love that too. Yeah, get a comfortable table. Don't sit in one of those booths where, you know, you can't move the table. The baby's head's going to hit the booth. Yeah. So assess the situation. But yeah, I have to say the nursing covers are BS in my opinion. If you have yeah. to, if you feel like you have to use it for modesty, you have to. But if you live in a hot environment, it's going to oh. overheat that baby. And it's just one more thing you have to deal with. So just, and you, can't
2: see you know, get used to it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I feel like a nursing cover draws
0: more attention. Yeah, I used to battle with it. I did in the beginning and it was just like, and then I'm just like, and then I can't see if she's on there in the beginning. It's so hard. So I I wrestled with it for a while. Now I'm just like, free the nip. Yes. I'm with you. Now, last question. Making
1: formula a prescription using wet nurse and donor milk first.
2: What's your thoughts on that? Oh, that's an interesting question. So in some baby-friendly hospitals, formula is treated like a prescription, which is interesting. Oh, so wet nursing and donor milk, that is something that is so personal that it cannot be, that cannot be mandated to somebody. I feel like it has to be something that somebody wants.
0: What is a wet nurse?
2: That is where somebody else breastfeeds your baby at their breast. It's like donor milk but without the pump
1: isn't that what really wealthy women like privileged women they would hire out wet nurses because it was considered like like nose in the air like i don't breastfeed my own babies that's
2: something that the help does right yeah it is very old-fashioned in some senses but i've actually seen it firsthand but it was with a more like close intimate relationship between the two women so it was where one sister breastfed her sister's baby.
0: Oh,
1: well, that's beautiful. I love beautiful. that. It was beautiful. I yeah. I think it's when I just hear the term wet nurse. You're right that it I evokes like images of like old-fashioned- well, I have a better culture. term for you.
2: Yeah. It's called cross-nursing. There we go. Okay. That's more modern. I like cross-nursing I better. I like cross-nursing. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the privilege of working with two sisters when I was at WIC. And one of them had a nine-month-old. And one of them had like a five-day-old, like very young baby, under a week. Uh. And the brand new baby didn't know how to breastfeed. And the mom's breasts were full and hard. And the baby could not latch. The one who had the nine month old had an established milk supply, but she had easy breasts and her baby knew exactly what to do with any kind of breast. And so they swapped babies and both had a successful feed. And after that, the young baby knew how to breastfeed and the older baby was satisfied because she had had a a big meal. (laughs) On the full breath. So beautiful. Yeah, and I they were sisters, that. and so it was their it was their choice and their comfort level. We need to
1: normalize more of that and less right? of right. Such formula. a creative,
2: helpful solution.
1: Yes, all about it. Okay, wow, there's so much here. Do you ha- is there anything that you really feel passionate about saying? Just like a quick soapbox item that you haven't discussed yet that you want to share before we wrap up.
2: Hmm, I'm thinking. Well, so much of my mind is in the birth space right now where I feel like I'm doing so much more labor support than I am doing breastfeeding work like in the last like six weeks or so. So I don't know. I am I feel like we've covered like all of the really big ones, but I'm just thinking about, you know, people going into the birth space and like being prepared for this. And I would just say, do the prep. Think about this stuff. Think about the postpartum. Think about the breastfeeding yes. stuff. Because a lot of times people educate themselves for their birth, but they don't really educate themselves for the breastfeeding and the baby, the newborn yes. care aspect. Like, what does a right. newborn look like? What do they do? What is normal? Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and then they arrive postpartum. It happens so quick. You know, suddenly you're there and then you're like, oh, I
0: have no idea what I'm doing with yeah. this. i say educate yourself. Yep. I think it's important to tout your services prenatally just to yes, help yes. kind of set those expectations, get some of those hacks, those tips and tricks. So if you want to share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you and have oh. your services, this would be a good time oh to plug my goodness. that.
2: Well, I – I am barely on social media. I'm, I'm using social media personally after many, many years of having to use it for a brick and mortar natural baby boutique business. So then I kind of went into hiding and I was like, I'm just going to be just myself and not focus on any business pages at all. So I'm not really findable on social media. I have a page, but I don't use it. People can contact Kat to get my phone number. <laughs> okay. The best way to find me is just to text me, not call me. I have too many kids and I normally work nights. Right now I'm doing days. I don't know what's going on. I normally work night shift. So I sleep during the day. And when I'm with my clients, I don't answer the phone. So I always tell people, just text me. That's the best way to get a hold of me. I am still doing home visits in Tampa Bay. I do them. I did one yesterday. I'm doing one today. So I do. I'm still working, not totally in hibernation. Okay, so let's do this. Less availability listeners. than I used to have.
1: <laughs> listeners, if you're in the Tampa Bay area, you have questions for Gladys IBCLC, D- DM us, and I'll connect you via her phone number. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay, awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm 100 so okay
2: with my phone number being shared. That's oh, okay.
1: Saying. Okay. Like right now on this podcast? Or no, mm-hmm. in, in the DMs.
2: No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, in the DMs. <laughs> yeah. we, we don't, don't want, want to put
0: it
1: out
2: slammed.
1: There. No, no, no. No, no, no. They, want it, they can ask for it. Yes, there we go. Yeah, and I, do we know do home visits.
2: I do home visits with all kinds of situations. I would say my specialty over the last 10 years has really become the non-nursing newborn. So mm-hmm. like think of a baby who's four, five, 10 days old, has never latched. That's mm. my specialty.
0: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. Impossible pain. That's always a fun one when moms are having horrible nipple pain. Mm-hmm. I love being able to come in and show them how to position and latch their baby so they have zero pain. Boom. Yeah, it, I love yeah, it. It's not
0: hurt at all. It no. should not hurt.
2: shouldn't hurt mm-hmm. at all. It's one of the it biggest myths out there is that it just doesn't actually hurt for a while does And it does not
1: have to at all. Oxytocin should feel good. Okay, mamas, yeah. we got a wrap. Thank you, lettuce. Thank you so, so much. This was so enlightening. I love you guys. Love you. Thank you. (laughs) We're
0: so happy to have you. Yes. Until next Mm -hmm.
1: time.